Um, so I want to talk a little bit. Last week, I, uh, the last few weeks, I've been, well, let me back up. We've been talking for a number of months about the four foundations of mindfulness. And we've gone through the first foundation, mindfulness of the body. The second foundation, which is mindfulness of the feeling tone of any moment. In any moment, whether it's a moment of uh, a physical moment, an emotional moment, a mental moment, a spiritual moment, it's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, somewhere in between the two. And that's the second foundation of mindfulness, the Vedna of experience. The third foundation of mindfulness is really mindfulness of chitta, which is mostly translated as mind, but also translated as heart. And it really includes, includes both domains, the domain of our heart or the emotional realm, the affect of the experience of being human, and the mental realm or the, uh, the realm of mind, mindfulness of mind. And then the fourth foundation is mindfulness of dharmas or mindfulness of... Um, the Buddha outlined a number of lists that he highlighted in his teaching and said start to pay attention to when this, these experiences are arising and under, un, first of all, educate yourself a little bit and then see how your experience is matching these lists that I give you, which are like the five hindrances or the five aggregates of experience or the six sense doors or the seven factors of enlightenment or the four noble truths. See what happens as you use those um, uh, templates as part of the practice, as recognizing your experience through those templates and, and watch how awakening happens. Watch how, how um, freedom manifests. And uh, so we've been talking a little about the fourth foundation and going through the, um, the uh, hindrances, which is the beginning of the fourth foundation. And I, I gave some a talk on uh, desire, here are the five hindrances, desire, aversion, or let, let me say it this way, desire or wanting is the first hindrance, um, aversion or ill will or irritation, the second hindrance, uh, sleepiness or um, uh, dullness or, uh, is the second and uh, third um, hindrance restlessness or also forms of agitation like restlessness the fourth foundation the fourth um, hindrance and then the fifth hindrance hindrance is doubt and so we've been talking about them and and talking about them to highlight them to say oh recognize them these are normal parts of practice and human life and see what happens when we're when they're happening and if we're identified with them or whether we're mindful of them. And we could be both mindful of them and identified and mindful of them and not identified. So, so I talked in some ways about um, desire and aversion because they're, they're very strong. I'm not going to say so much about restlessness or sleepiness. Usually those are... Um, um, recognizable for most people um, 
but I want to talk more about doubt, which is considered the most difficult hindrance or the hardest hindrance. Um, and and um, the hindrances are themselves are considered, uh, you can hear it in the word, right? Hindrances. They're obstacles. They're difficulties to awakening. Now, I like to speak about that a little bit because um, they're only hindrances if we make a problem out of them, if we believe them, if we think that's the truth of our reality. If we start to practice with them, they become the building blocks for freedom. They become the building blocks so that the mind which naturally will want things or not want things or be tired or dull or be restless or be doubtful. That's all part of human nature. That'll happen for all of us. But if we start to know, oh, this is part of the, the domain of practice, then it becomes part of the foundation of mindfulness, of body fullness, of heart fullness. In other words, we can start to settle into our experience through the difficulties, through the obstacles. And they don't become obstacles anymore, they're just part of practice. And they happen at the beginning of practice, and they happen all through practice at different times. So we want to become, uh, as it's said sometimes in modern uh, Buddhist teaching, we want to be friendly with them. So here's from the Buddha, he taught you in a, in a sutta teaching called The Fruits of the Contemplative Life. And he's talking, he says, when, when these five hindrances are not understood in oneself and not released, the contemplative regards it as a doubt, a sickness, a prison, slavery, a road through a desolate country. But when these five hindrances are recognized, are understood, are let go of, one regards it as unindebtedness, good health, release from prison, freedom, a place of serenity, of security, excuse me. Excuse me. But we could add serenity too. That will come if you, if you really practice with the hindrances. So... What I'm pointing at is the value of paying attention to what are commonly understood as the difficulties in practice and in life and the things that drive us like desire or aversion or things that happen where we believe, oh, there's something wrong with us if we're tired or we're dull or if we're restless or if we're agitated or if we're uncomfortable and the things that keep us from landing fully in our experience, like doubt. And doubt is difficult. Why is doubt so difficult? Anybody know? Because we believe it. It's believable. It makes sense. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, this doesn't work. Oh, I don't think this will really do what they say it's going to do. And etymologically, doubt means came from the origin to waver or to hesitate. And it really points to not a settled mind, heart, body, not, not a certain kind of stability, not a certain kind of here-ness. 
and clarity and assurity that lets us go deeper into practice, but characterized by uncertainty, by not being sure, by not knowing, feeling indecisive, um, feeling hesitant or suspicious or confused. So what about critical thinking? What about critical thinking? That's different than doubt. What is the difference? The difference is... Well, what, give me give me a while to talk, and a little later, if it isn't answered at all, then I'll come back to it. But critical thinking is a beautiful part of mind and heart and practice. But um, doubt keeps taking away any um, uh, confidence in what we're doing, rather than questioning it. Questioning, great. You can question everything, and I'll talk a little more about what's called. Um, um, hindering doubt and questioning doubt because they're they're considered different. So so the doubt applies uh, implies a certain kind of uncertainty or an inability to make a decision or take an action or to understand what's happening or to have confidence in your ability or in the dharma's. Uh, power to free people. How many people here think they're not going to get enlightened? (laughs) No, really. Be honest. Raise your hand. Okay. So a few people are giving me the I don't know. Right? That's, That's a more questioning kind of doubt. And then a lot of people are raising their hands. And that's a very common idea. We we doubt the idea that most people doubt that awakening even happens. Most people come to, and I'll be honest, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, most people come to a group like this because they want to feel a little better. Or they want to be a little calmer. Or they want to learn how to manage difficulty, suffering, which is a great reason to come for practice. But don't limit your desire to the mundane. <laughs> and I, don't, I mean that totally respectfully. I don't mean that disrespectfully. Really, but really what I'm saying is more may be possible than we know. And that's an interesting part of practice. And that's one of the things doubt punctures often. It punctures our... Um, uh, faith or or even the willingness to believe in the outer limits of what might be possible or the depths of what might be possible or really what the Buddha said he was teaching because when he talked about it he wasn't talking about oh here I've got a good way for you to relax <laughs> or you know here's a good thing I learned and you can feel a little better or here's how to work with your you know husband, wife, partner, friend, you know, and it'll it'll make it a little better if you practice mindfulness. He taught mindfulness because he woke up and he was free. And he realized, oh, this could happen for other people. And people are missing what they're seeking. He saw that everybody seeks happiness. 
and he he was you know he had some it said he had some uh, uh, powers after he woke up and he could see very clearly and across humanity he said oh everybody seeks freedom all people excuse me all people seek happiness but they don't understand the way to happiness this is a way to true happiness and it's a happiness not based on conditions not based on getting the right job the Buddha wasn't happy because he got the right job he wasn't happy because he had the right relationship he wasn't happy because the right people followed him he was happy because he discovered freedom in and of itself and that's a radical proposition for all of us so doubt is something to start to pay attention to why did he say pay attention to it really because it undercuts one's commitment to practice one's wholeheartedness in engaging in practice or in any part of our life you know relationships don't work if there's always just doubt and I can verify this personally um, my wife and I were I don't know we've been you know hanging out together for quite a while and then living together for a few years and and uh, she wanted to get married and I was like no way you know are you kidding you know that was my I had a lot I've been married I was like nope did that I know about that I'm not doing that again and uh, and at some point she convinced me to do a little couples counseling with her and, and a couples counselor <laughs> and, uh, and it was um, fascinating to do because I realized oh I was holding on to some idea and some beliefs belief based on the past based on my experience that wasn't necessarily true and it caused me to doubt the potential of the relationship I was in and it was fascinating to, to see that in my mind and watch that let go and then it was like oh my god I'm so lucky <laughs> this person is with me <laughs> was what I thought not only that then it seemed like oh it would be great to marry this person and then and I did it and I, I proposed and, and we said okay we're going to get married and then about two weeks later I started to have doubt again <laughs> I remember telling my wife that and she said I'm tired of your doubt <laughs> and it was, you know, it was fine to have the doubt because I wasn't bought into it and it's something it's true it doesn't mean oh you're never going to have doubt it means oh be mindful of doubt and see what's real and see what kind of questioning is needed to see what's true here's, here's a quote from um, Rilke who is a poet that I love who wrote a great book called Letters to a Young Poet and he says your doubt doubt can be actually really doubt must be can, be beca can become a good quality if you train it okay it must become a knowing it must become criticism really what he's saying here is ask it ask the doubt whenever it wants to spoil something for you take things away deny things 
why something is ugly. Demand proof from it. Test it. And you will find it perhaps bewildered and embarrassed, perhaps also protesting. But don't give in. Insist on arguments and act in this way, like my wife did a little bit. She, you know, he says, don't give in. Insist on arguments and act in this way, attentive and persistent. Every single time, and the day will come when, instead of being a destroyer, it will become one of your best workers, perhaps the most intelligent of all the ones that are building your life. In other words, okay, doubt arises in your life. Start to question it. Say, okay, what's the truth of this? I'm doubting that I can do this. Well, let me see. Let me see if I can do it or not. Don't just believe it. Why do I think I can't do, you know, um, get married again, or have kids, or get a new job, or be with the partner I want, or whatever it is. And then see what, what the, and there'll be all these ideas. Now, okay, let me challenge the ideas and see. Let me really look. Let me really take it on as a practice. Or I'll, I'll bring the same idea to practice, because that's what we say. That's why we want you to start to be mindful of practice. You say, oh, I can't do, I can't really get concentrated. Uh, I doubt that. I doubt that I'll ever get enlightened. Okay, give it, let's give it some time. Let's give it some energy. Let's give it some effort. Let's see what happens if you devote yourself for a week. Uh, like I just taught a retreat for a week. There were at least 30 people with their first retreat. And it was a great retreat. And there was a lot of doubt that people had. Oh, can I do this? Can I be silent for a week? Oh, what will happen? I'm, I'll go crazy or I'll hate it. I'll have to leave or, you know, something bad. I won't get to do my email or, you know, whatever it is that people think that, that builds the case for the doubt. And then they don't do those things. They see what happens and they start to discover the confidence having the courage to engage what we doubt instead of believing the doubt and the case made by the doubt. And you know, if you think you're not going to get enlightened, give it 25 years. <laughs> A serious practice. See what happens. But, but talk to me in five years. You just want to give it a big scope. But see what happens. Five years, and if you want to really get enlightened, five years, and that's all you do. Trust me, you, you will never, ever, ever be the same person. And even if you don't have full enlightenment, you will have awakening you, you never imagined was possible about the reality of consciousness. So... Um, where am I here? <laughs> so doubt, so doubt. So partly, and just normally, like even coming here and being aware of doubt as part of the meditative process means to start to see how and what we doubt in practice, right? Maybe we think we can't do practice or the teachings aren't true or the Buddha never really lived or that's a myth or that's from some other culture or that's from some other country or you know but it, all of it cuts our um, commitment or our devotion or our dedication to seeing what's true right here because everything the Buddha pointed at is sitting in your seat 
It's not sitting somewhere else. And your job, if you want the job, is to see what's actually here. What's in this physical, mental, emotional, I don't even know what to call it, container, you know, the, the human experience. And really give yourself to that. And, and then, of course, like any quality of practice, that capacity to look directly, clearly, wakefully at something will translate into your life. How many people here, and you don't have to put your hand up if you don't want, but if you're willing, if you're, how many people here notice that you doubt your own value at times? Right? Is that like a common thing? Right? That's a common thing that we have. We doubt our value. And, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, that is a total misunderstanding of what's here. Meaning that the value or the preciousness of human life is what's sitting in your seat. And it's, it's magical or mysterious that life happens in this way, in this human way, and that we're here at all. And we won't be here forever. Everybody, everybody knows that, right, in this form. And so, what does it mean not to value this moment and ourselves? Because we're here, and we're not going to be, we're going to be gone. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean we don't question certain capacities at time or certain talents we might have. All of that, you know, of course, we all have our pluses and minuses, for sure. But essentially, or in terms of our nature, of what's here, of the basis of what we are, that's invaluable in Buddhism. Your, your, your Buddha nature is invaluable. And that's here, whether it's recognized or not, whether it's realized or not. This is from Zen Master Dogen. He said, the true person, it's a capital T, the true person is not anyone in particular. The true person is not anyone in particular, but like the deep blue color of the limitless sky, it is everyone, everywhere in the world. That's more understanding of the value that's sitting in our seat and the seat of the people near you and the seat of the people around you and the people everywhere. The amazing, magical manifestation of consciousness in an embodied human form that has the potential to realize its Buddha nature, its sacredness, whatever word you want to use, its luminosity. So we want to start to recognize that because it, <clears throat> it brings a certain inability to enact our intentions when we're believing doubt. And it doesn't mean we don't question our capacity, right? We all have more to learn. 
whatever it is, whether it's in our work or our friendships or our love life or our or anything, where you know our intelligence, our creativity. There's more. There's always more. It's one of the beauties uh, and one of the mysterious parts of human life is that it's infinite. That there's no limit to our intelligence. So, but to doubt it so that we deny it or so we cut off from it or we don't trust it we want to be be able to recognize that kind of doubt that uh, hindering doubt <clears throat> it brings a certain kind of ambivalence in practice a certain kind of ambivalence in our life and it, especially in the meditative practice we then waver. Oh, we don't really know how to do that. I can't really do it. I can't really be with the breath. Maybe you have a hard time with the breath. Everybody does sometimes. But don't let that stop you from giving yourself to it, from devoting yourself, from being fierce about it if that's what's needed. Being a warrior about it if that's what's needed. And seeing what happens as you're wholehearted with your practice. Because what the practice is pointing at is sitting in your seat. It's not somewhere else. <clears throat> and so, so the doubt is powerful because it castrates our heart. It castrates our will. It castrates our devotedness. It castrates our power. And if you ever read the Buddha's stories and, and his teachings, he was a powerful guy. And it wasn't just, a, oh, I'm a powerful guy, so I'm going to beat up everybody or I'm going to rule over everyone. No, he was powerful in discovering human truth. And he trusted his potential to do that. And he devoted himself to it, even when it was really hard. He had a number of years, really difficult, where he had teachers, he listened to them, and it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. And he didn't let that stop him. He let that influence him or educate him. Okay, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this. What else could I do? How else could I discover the freedom that I feel or I sense or I know is possible for human beings, for me? And it's that freedom that I believe brings everybody here, in one form or another. The freedom from suffering or the freedom from difficulty or the freedom from confusion or the freedom from the habits that are binding or that are troublesome or the freedom from the not understanding but having some intuition of the potential of what's here for us as human beings. There's a quote, I don't know who this is from, but it says, when you doubt your power, you give power to your doubt. When you doubt your power, you give power to your doubt. <coughs> and it's said in Buddhism a little bit um, um, literally it says doubt regarding the self 
right? Like what the, what's possible is a hindrance to tranquility. And doubt regarding the discourses is a hindrance to solitude. And doubt regarding the triple gem, which is Buddha Dharma Sangha, is a hindrance to both tranquility and insight. And doubt regarding the Four Noble Truths is a hindrance to freedom. So, there was a question that was raised from Ivan who said, asked about questioning. And um, so the here's balance, one, pardon? The balance is like not blindly conforming to something without questioning. The balance of not blindly conforming to something without questioning. Um, okay. Um, well, Rene Descartes said, he said, if you want to be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt, as far as possible, everything. It's part, it, but it's, that's questioning doubt. That's what God says, okay, what's real? You know, I've heard everything everybody, Eugene has to teach, but what's true here? What, what can I discover for myself? I've, heard, I've read everything the Buddha said or they wrote about him. What's true about that? How can I find out if that's true or not? And so that's, that's not hindering doubt. Hindering doubt is like a little mouse who keeps eating away at the food so you can't eat it. You know, you're going to come sit and they say, oh, well, I shouldn't have come tonight. It's not really the right night. Oh yeah, I just gotta stay at home and watch the football game. That would have been better to do that. Or, oh yeah, no, I shouldn't. Oh, I shouldn't really meditate this week because I have too much to do. Or, you know, and we, we keep talking ourselves out of being present, out of doing what we're doing. So that's the hindering doubt that we don't want to just go along with. But there's a bigger quality of doubt that you're pointing at, that I'm happy to talk about, which is characterized, uh, I think, beautifully in a book by Stephen Batchelor called The Faith, The Faith to Doubt. And really, he could have also said it, The Faith to Question. The Faith Not to Believe, but to See, to Ask, to Wonder, to Look, to inquire, to be curious, and then to pursue what we're interested in or what we don't know or what we doubt or question with all of our intelligence and all of our curiosity and all of our creativity and all of our uh, heartfulness. That's good practice as far as I can tell. And so that, in Buddhism, is called great doubt. So there's hindering doubt and then there's great doubt. And great doubt is really the doubt that asks, like, what's the truth? Or, what are we? Right? Like, we've all been told we're human beings, right? Everybody hear that? Like, what the hell is that? What's a human being? Right? Except the ideas we have about it, or the lists we can add to it. But what's the actual experience of human beingness? You know, and so 
it's, it's like really saying, okay, I want to see directly. I want to look clearly. I want to examine closely. I want to be intimate. Actually, the name of the retreat I just taught was called... <laughs> Thank you. Liberating intimacy. I knew it had intimacy in it. Liberating intimacy. And it's a beautiful title of practice. Liberating intimacy that we get way more intimate with the human experience than we even think is possible and it starts to reveal itself. It starts to unfold itself. It starts to be a revelation rather than a stiff or, or, uh, or um, uh, habitual kind of knowledge. It's a living revelation, liberating intimacy. And that's what great doubt is about. So, doubt, uh, starting to be mindful of doubt and see it, and not, not judging it even. Really, I don't judge my doubt. I have tons of doubts. Doubt, you know, it's just doubt. It's just a mental state. It's a kind of, actually I'll say it differently, it's a mental emotional state. It has qualities of both. Doubt. Oh, you know, I don't believe it or I don't think it's possible or I worry about it or whatever the doubt is. But one doesn't have to believe the doubt so that the doubt um, dictates our life. So the doubt dictates how we practice or how we engage in what we care about or what we want to understand or to realize the truth of who and what we are. <clears throat> and the great doubt is a little bit a paradox. Paul Tillich, who was a Christian contemplative, he said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is one element of faith because it's one element of human reality. And human reality is the doorway to freedom in all religions, right? It's through, it's through humans that we discover God. It's through humans that we wake up. It's through human beingness that we realize what's true. And so in Buddhism, the antidote to doubt is investigation of Dharma. It's doubting the doubt. <laughs> uh, and doubt undercuts our confidence in a way that it's so helpful to start to recognize it both as practice and outside of practice. Because Doubt is so normal, but it's not the end of the story. This is from Jan Martel, who wrote <coughs> The Life of Pi. He said, if Christ, Christ spent an anguished night in prayer, if he burst out from the cross crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then surely we are also permitted doubt. Right? But we must 
we must move on to choose doubt as the philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. <laughs> and so it doesn't mean we want to, we don't even want to get rid of the doubt. We want to see it for what it is and then recognize the consciousness that is having doubt and what else comes as we start to see doubt not as the end of the road but as part of the road that happens or as Rosalind Carter said actually yeah, I'll say it a few different ways we think more on the outside Rosalind Carter said if you doubt that you can accomplish something then you can accomplish it if you have confidence in your ability then be tough enough to follow through even with the doubt. Or Margaret Mead said it beautifully this way. She said, never doubt, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has changed the world. Right? Even when it looks like, no, it's not possible, they can't do it, we can't do it, and then it gets done. Something happens that is beautifully surprising, both in the meditation practice, individually, and then collectively, too, for us all together. <coughs> I think that's all I have to say about doubt. I doubt that I have any more to say. Maybe I can say it that way. I could read you a nice poem a week can end, or if you have any questions, or, you know, if you're doubting my doubt talk, we could talk about that, too. Pardon? Poem. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy to do. I'm happy to do the poem and and, and tonight. That's fine. But but I want to see if anybody else has a question or comment. Okay, we'll do we'll do the poem. It's it's a poem that actually has been read a lot in Dharma circles. But I thought it was so beautiful when I read it today. I was just looking at it and was like, oh yeah, this says something about stuff that we doubt and says, don't worry about it. By Mary Oliver. She said, you do not have to be good. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let, you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you about mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Some, meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies 
and the deep trees and the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, the wild geese, the wild geese high in the blue, clear air are heading home again. The wild geese high in the clear blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, whoever you are, whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination. The world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting. It calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Announcing your place in the family of things. Let's sit for a minute before we end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.